Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. It's promo time. This episode, I'm very happy to share with you the promo of Booze and Spirits, a rollicking good podcast that you're really going to enjoy. But hey, I'll let them tell you about it. Take it away. Hey, did you know that in the original Bloody Mary ritual, you had to walk backwards up a flight of stairs? Oh, really? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, and the purpose was to catch a glimpse of your future husband's face. Really? I wish I could find my future husband that easily. Honestly, all I really want to do now is drink a Bloody Mary. Well, how about we go make some Bloody Marys while you tell me more fun facts about Bloody Mary? Join us every week at Booze and Spirits, where we make our favorite drinks and tell each other our favorite paranormal stories. Find us under Booze and Spirits on Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, and Podbean. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Booze and Spirits. Engage through voice. Mirthers of all ages, sizes, hairdos, and feet shape. Welcome to Mirths and Monsters. As you can hear, my voice is back to normal. Phew! I sounded so weird. It was like I was cursed. Speaking of cursed, how's that for a link? This week's episode involves curses aplenty, bandages, and slow walking. On with the pod! Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to the show. I am CK, and I hope you're happier than a mosquito at a blood bank. Me and the little ones are having a nice day off at Casa CK today. Ray's got her tiny flip-flops on, sunglasses and a cocktail. Alcohol-free, of course. Strawberry cathery, she calls it. Bobby and Castiel are, for once relaxing and taking a day off from working out or practising their martial arts. So no katas today for them. And wee Finn, he's got a herb garden that he likes to work on. So what are we covering today? Well, it's a bit of a history lesson mixed with some supernatural happenings. What I'll be talking about today is... The Mummy. Time to pop on our learning hats, and time for me to search for mine. I'm starting to think that one of the fur babies is hiding on purpose, the little pranksters. Let me have a little rummage here. Here we go. Steerica! Oh no, that's my baseball umpire hat. Oh, here we go. If you're familiar with the mummy, what do you first picture? Do you think of Egypt? Do you think of bandages? Do you think of Brendan Fraser? Do you think of Steve Martin doing a funny song and dance on Saturday Night Live? All of these are acceptable thoughts. That last one might be for the slightly older Marthers such as myself, though. Where do we begin? A while ago. So... I will say that the Egyptians are best known for the mummy connection 
but there were others before them who were making mummies way earlier. It actually takes me to a fishing tribe known as the Chinchorros, and we're going back to 5000 BC. What does BC stand for? Exactly, before chickens. Now the Chinchorros were from the northern coast of what is now known as Chile, or Chile. Of course, the passing of people is a sad part of our lives. But even if someone passes, that doesn't have to mean that they're gone forever. They can be remembered by their words, by their deeds, and how we memorialise them. This was part of making someone a mummy. The process is called mummification, and the reason for it was to pay tribute to the loved one. The Chinchoros used to use feathers, chemicals, and a, let's say, an Ikea-style approach to the process. Some bits would come off, then get put back on again. You get the idea. And at the end, the loved one would be coated in clay, and on here, they would paint or sculpt as an honour to the person that passed. Think of, say you have the misfortune to break an arm or a leg or something, you have a plaster cast on. People sign it. It's a, a sort of similar thing. Using art as a tribute, of course, has been used for thousands and thousands of years. Before language. I haven't gone into too much detail about the process that the Chinchoros did, because even though they should be remembered for it, it was the Egyptians who took the process and mastered it. It was around 3,000 before chickens that the Egyptians were doing their thing and making artificial mummies. Now, the reason I say artificial is that the first known Egyptian mummy dates back to 3,500 BC, but the cause of the mummification was from the weather. Very dry, arid desert weather made it a natural process. The artificial part just means it was man-made rather than the weather. As for the process itself, well, how can I put it? It was... It was a little bit icky, but it was still done with reverence. Basically, you would sort of take the person, lay them out, take a red-hot needle, and then you would... Before the thing went... Then you'd pop them into jars. Then you would sort of... But after that, you would put the heart back in. Give the whole thing a rinse with wine and spices before popping it into the oven at gas mark 7. Oh, wait, hang on. That's the recipe for haggis. Ignore that last bit. The heart did go back in, though. You cover the whole body with salt for 70 days. This helps with preservation. At day 40, you fill it up with linen and sand to give it, you know, that classic human look. And then on day 70, break out those bandages, baby. Well, it was linen strips. 150 yards worth of linen strips. That's one and a half lengths of your American football fields. When you've done that, hey presto, you've got yourself a mummy. Now, to begin with, only those with money could get this done. As is the case with many new things. But as is also the case with new things, the more it's done, the more affordable it becomes. Which is why, over the 
period of 3,000 years, there were 70 million mummies made in Egypt. That's over 23,000 a year. Almost as many sandwiches as I have in a month. That's a lot. So all this just sounds like an extravagant funeral tradition, correct? Yes, it does. So where do the curses come in? Well, initially, Tomb Raiders, not Lara Croft. The original Tomb Raiders. So a lot of you will know about pyramids. Do a lot of you still know that pyramids were used as tombs? Burial chambers? Not all pyramids have been used as tombs. Some were built as tributes to royalty, like a statue, you know? But it's the ones that were used as tombs that we're talking about further now. Now, as they were used as tombs, the tradition of the time was to leave the deceased with items and gifts that they could enjoy in the afterlife. Jewellery, clothes, sandwiches, Pepsi Max, Sega Mega Drive. Mostly it was jewellery, trinkets and gifts, though. And the main one I'm going to focus on is the tomb of the boy king, Tutankhamun. He was known as the Boy King because he ascended to the throne at the age of eight or nine years old. What were you doing at the age of eight or nine? What was I doing at the age of eight or nine? I think I was playing with mud. Anyway, King Tut had been quite happily just having his long sleep when on the 26th of November 1922, Howard Carter and his team of explorers finally broke into the Tut's Pyramid tomb to see what they could see. And what they saw, to quote Carter, was wonderful things. Carter was sponsored by the really rather rich Lord and Lady Carnarvon. And it was this group who, in the name of archaeology, broke into the boy king's resting place to have a looky round. Now once the tomb was opened, did everyone die immediately? Plague of locusts, bucket load of hungry scarab beetles... No. Nobody died. Not right away. In fact, the first person who did die, who was involved in the opening of King Tut's tomb, was Lord Carnarvon himself, in the following March, just four months after its opening. Coincidence? Yeah. Still a sad story, though. The Lord was bitten by a mosquito, and unfortunately... The bite became infected through a razor cut. And his lordness, already susceptible to illness ever since an automobile accident years before, succumbed to the infection and passed. But how could this not be part of the curse? Just four months after? Everybody talking about this massive coincidence? Well, it turns out that there was a reason for it. The good lordness had made a deal with the Times newspaper to keep the flow of funds going. It's a very expensive thing to do with archaeology. If you've ever seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know there's always somebody who's got the money. Thing is, this annoyed the other press members who were there. This was a huge event. So, they took umbrage to what they saw as a slight to their journalistic integrity. Sticking to that journalistic integrity, they started making stuff up. I know, you're shocked by the fact that some papers make things up. What may be a surprise, an actual surprise to you, is that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the creative genius 
and fellow Scotsman, behind Sherlock Holmes, thought it was elementals who caused the curse. Elementals were created by priests at the time to act as protectors for wee King Tut. But remember, Conan Doyle was also taken in by two young girls who said they had fairies at the bottom of their garden, when in fact they just cut out pictures from a book and attached wee rods at the back of them to make them stand up. Now obviously, fairies are real. But if you want to get their picture taken, they'll let you take their picture and not the other way around. Because they can get grumpy. Admittedly, the curse thing did make things more interesting, whether it be true or not. Even if the idea of delving into centuries-old, gigantic, pyramid-shaped tombs should be interesting enough, throw in a curse? Eh, well, you got yourself history. But let's talk about what the curse led to in other ways. Ways of entertainment. There have been novels, there have been poems, there have been a plethora of short stories. One of these short stories was from 1924. It was ghostwritten by H.P. Lovecraft himself. Didn't use his own name, though. The name he used? Harry Houdini, the escapologist, the globally famous escapologist. Obviously, there were films. Films and more films. The first recorded mummy movie was in 1932, and it launched the curse and it launched the idea of the curse of the mummy globally by the medium of Boris Karloff playing Imhotep. Swathed in bandages he was. Swathed. The film was a massive success, coming only ten years after King Tut's doom was opened, and it also fit in with the Universal Studio releases of classic horror movie monster films, Frankenstein, Wolfman, and films like that. As some of you may know, these films had a very deep effect on a young CK. It's Karloff's performance that will pop into folks' heads when they think of The Mummy. Even if they don't know it's from that film, it's become such a popular image and used in so many things. 1932, that was. The most recent Mummy movie, 2017. 85 years later. And it starred someone called... Oh, heck. Oh, let me just check my notes here. Sorry, this is very unprofessional. Oh, here we go. Tim Cruise. Yeah. Tim Cruise. The film didn't do so well, but I'm sure Tim will be fine and he'll have a great career regardless. Maybe as a scientist. So in films alone, the portrayal of the mummy has spanned just 15 years shy of a century. Why is this? Why are we so fascinated with this monster? Well, why don't we ask one? Thank you so much for stopping by. I wasn't sure if you'd be able to make it from Carpathia. Eee, lad. No bother at all. Just a hop, skip and a jump, really. Thanks for the invite. Actually gave me an excuse to have a break from the grind. Also, well remembered for wearing the sunglasses. I'm 99% sure you'll be safe without them, but I know, just to make sure. We can come back to that, actually. 
But how about you introduce yourself to the listeners? Ooh, right. Oh, uh, hello, listeners. Well, unfortunately, I can't tell you my name because giving away my name is sort of frowned upon. In my line of work, anyway, like giving away your power sort of thing. Not the same level as knowing the name of a demon or any of that malarkey. Personally, I think it's just for the image. Keep up the spooky. Fair enough. So, just for the sake of the interview, what should we call you? Ooh, how about... Boris. I saw it in a film once. Well, okay, Boris. Wait a minute. Didn't a mummy in the cinema cause a bit of a rumpus? Not when you pretend to be part of the display that the cinema put up to celebrate the release of the film. Ah, makes sense. What did you think of the film, by the way? Preferred the papyrus. The papyrus is always better than the film. I did like Boris, though. Do you go to the cinema a lot? You know what? I didn't even know films existed till a little while back. A friend told me about them. Got me hooked good and proper. Any road, what would you like to know, young man? Let's start with the basics. What's the standard day-to-day in the life of a mummy? Well, the general day-to-day is standard. You wake up, rinse your bandages, have some breakfast, the usual stuff. What I will tell you about, what you really want to know about is the days when a curse is involved. I mean, if you feel fine with that. Don't worry, lad. I don't mind talking about it. Let's begin. In a dark, dark wood, there's a dark, dark house. In the dark, dark house... There's a family of people stubbing their toes on the furniture. Why is it so dark, dark in here? Turn the blooming lights on. Just my little joke. Here's how it works. We are in the business of curses. The scary ones, not the sweary ones. If someone has a grudge or wants some kind of revenge of the like... One way to do that is by the use of a mummy. We're mums for hire, as it were. We're a means to an end. The end being someone else's current state of existence. That sounds... sinister. Thank you. Kind of you to say. If you're for hire, does that mean there's some form of agency? Not entirely. While we are technically free agents, there will be certain mummies who are used by certain spellcasters. You know, you make contacts and it goes from there. Family name comes into it as well. It can be hard to break through for a young mummy, but there's enough to go around for everyone. What happens is that a transaction will be made between the cursor and the spellcaster, one made by blood and the sworn rights to the firstborn. Nah, not really. It's all about money. 
Gotta make that gold, gold coin, y'all. Now, this is where it gets more like the horror films of old. Spells are cast using the classic ingredients. Newts, bats, they hate this time. When the spell is cast, the mummy who is used is contacted, but not in the standard way. Not by post, oh no. When the spell is cast, the details appear in the head of the mummy, and that is that. They could be watching some telly, making supper. It doesn't matter. When that spell hits, the mummy becomes this focused, bandage-clad machine, like the Terminator. Dun-dun-dun-dun. I still watch films when I can. Right, so whatever you're doing, spell hits, wallop, and away you go. Exactly. What's handy is that it's been on the go for so long that everyone knows what's going on. You could be in the shops paying for your groceries when it hits and the cashier will just bag up your stuff and put it to one side till you'll come back later after the, uh, after the job is done. So the actual work itself, can you go into detail about that? Or is that, you know, secret? I would tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. Oh, that's, uh, oh. Kidding. Sorry, I've just always wanted to say that line. I'm happy to tell you. I will say, though, it's through a bit of a fog. Things are always a bit hazy. You're under a spell, you know. You need to chase down the person. I say chase. It would seem that the slower the better. I think it's part of the look, you know. I don't know who's looking, but that's what happens. Builds the anticipation, I guess. Any road up, we catch up to the bad person. Now, the spellcasters that employ us will only take certain jobs. It's always a bad egg. Then we catch up with them and take care of them. Care to elaborate? Not really. They just never bother anyone again. They either leave the area, they get scared into being good, or in some cases, they're very lucky and go and live on a farm. Also, as I said, a lot of it is quite hazy due to the spell. That's fair enough. Oh, before I forget, though, the eyes. What's the deal with the eyes? Ah, right. Now, whilst a one is under the spell, the eyes become a lot more relevant. Normally, they're just your day-to-day eyes for seeing and stuff. Under the spell, though, they get a hefty tinge of red in them. Blood red, of course. When you're clad head to foot in off-white bandages, you see that red and they get your attention. That's where the power lays. Once the subject of the spell makes contact with those papers, that is all she wrote. I think it's part spell, part hypnosis. Whatever it is, it's lethal. And why I asked you to wear the sunglasses just in case? Think of what could have... Oh, sorry. 
think think of what could have happened if we'd been talking and and all of a sudden there was a spell cast and and I had to Hello Boris Oh boy Uh Boris Boo Ah I cannot believe you fell for that You absolute rotter Boris you had me go in there Hey, I'm sorry, lad, I couldn't help myself. Okay, my friends. Well, I try and get my heart down to a decent, healthy level again, I think it's a fair spot to end the episode. Only leaves me to thank Boris for a great interview and for scaring the loving bejesus out of me. Boris, anything you'd like to say before we go? Aye, be good to your mummy and always carry sunglasses. Hey. All right, my friends, that's all for this episode. If you could hang fire afterwards for a couple of announcements, that would be grand. Till next time, slant you, my friends. Your good health. Okie dokie, folkies. Just got a couple of things. It's basically self-promotion and thank yous. The thank yous are to new patrons. I use sound effects a lot, but I've got to do that with my mouth, weirdo. Anyway, sorry. So, two new patrons. Jackie. Now, Jackie told me how to pronounce her surname. Um, By... (laughs) Okay, Jackie, please forgive me for doing this, but it's Jackie Rangan. (laughs) Uh, so it sounds a lot like ringing but with a bit of a twang as in can you grab the dang old phone it's a rangin so Jackie it's a dang old phone a rangin thank you so much you and Dan and Dan you're incredibly talented as well should have said that before I'm sorry and the other one is Paul Chomo who's the co-host of Varmint's Podcast. And if you don't know Varmint's Podcast, go and listen to Varmint's Podcast. Now, it's utterly fabulous. Other couple of things I want to say. There is now a website, www.mirthsandmonsters.co.uk. You can go on there, you can listen to the episodes through there, you can check out merchandise, you can send me emails. And it's done by Laura Uckert, who is just the most magnificent person. I have now started doing Facebook giveaways facebook live giveaways uh once a month they have proven to be great fun just tremendous i never really go into it with a plan apart from the giveaway but because the murthers are so wonderful it always becomes fantastic so if you would like to take part in that you just have to join the facebook group which is murths and monsters facebook group aka finn's fan club it's a cracking bunch of people. They're amazing and uh, makes my day-to-day fabulous. Uh, I do believe that is everything. No doubt I'll have forgotten something. But, yes, so check out the website. Check out the merch. I've just got some acrylic charms in as well. And they're smashing. I've got holographic stickers. Oy vey, they're so good. But, uh, yeah, check out the website. Come join the group. 
it's it's fun. It's great fun. So I have blathered on enough now. So till next time, my friends. Take care of yourself. Daddy fling. <laughs>